Well, uh, as we witness this, these baptisms, uh, the really tall kid back there with facial hair, oh, there you are, Austin. Um, you are the exception because uh, statistics say that by the time you walk across the graduation floor from high school, then uh, there's probably an 80% chance that you might not receive Christ. You know, only 20% after 18, statistics say, uh, because our hearts have learned and developed over those, those first number of years. And so, uh, but Jesus loves people of all ages, right? Um, in many countries, when new believers are baptized and make public confession, then it comes at a great cost because in many countries it's illegal to profess Christ as Savior. But it's important to do so. God's Word tells us to confess Him before others that we may be saved. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward reality, as we mentioned earlier. Through our death of our old life, we're buried and then we're raised to our new life. And our baptism is simply, though, the first step of a lifelong commitment into our baptism. It's called discipleship. We're called to live in this baptism every day. It, this one-time event that they have just participated in is not like a stamp that you receive going into an amusement park or a state fair. And then you say, okay, I've entered, I've arrived, and now I can live any way I want to for the rest of the day or rest of my life. Now we walk into and live into our baptism. The sacrament of baptism signifies that we're giving up our rights to run our own lives, and we're declaring that Jesus now has the right to lead us and run our lives as we surrender and submit to him. Oftentimes we forget that even as Christians, though, raised in the church. For example, 1,000 Christian uh, church people, they were asked this question, why does the church exist? And 89% of these 1,000, they said, the church exists to take care of my family's needs and my needs. Only 11% indicated that the church exists for others that we may share faith with others, that they may come to know Christ. Oftentimes, the spiritual life can be about what God can do for me, primarily. No, we live into our baptism. And later on, we'll be celebrating our second sacrament of communion, where we remember that Jesus gave up his life for others, for us, when he died on the cross, for our forgiveness and to give us eternal life in him. And like baptism, communion is not something that we just do once a month as a ritual. Rather, we're called to live into our communion with Christ every day. Well, what does that mean? Well, Jesus told us what it means when he said, whoever wants to follow me, be my disciple, must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, which means to die to self, and follow me. And then in Galatians, he also said, Paul said, the apostle, he said, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The old is gone, and the new is come now. I'm a new creation in Christ. And living for Christ means putting to death our old sinful habits and walking in obedience to our new way of life. It, re it means removing ourselves from the throne where self is on the chair, is on the throne of our lives, and Jesus is on the outside. That's a self-directed life, but it means we put Christ on our, the throne of our lives. He is the Lord and master of my life. It's the Christ-directed life in everything about my life. He has ownership in, 
And, and as Ron Hutchcraft said, I don't think we live the Christian life so much as the Christian day. It is a surrender to Christ that is renewable every morning. That's why we're to live into our baptism. That's how we're to live into our commun communion with Christ. A daily surrender. That's what it means. But why would anyone want to live a life of surrender, of denying self? Aren't we supposed to get the most out of life, to, to you know, go for the gusto, the survival of the fittest? You know, when I was on the football team in ninth grade, junior high school, um, I was, uh, well, our motto before every game, our rally cry was, crush, kill, destroy, when we're on the bus or home field or whatever. And that's what we, we intended to do to our opponents. And in fact, we ended the year undefeated, and I'm very proud to let you know that I was the junior high's running back. Third string. <laughs> Didn't ever get in, but we were undefeated nonetheless. We strive to be successful, though. We strive to be powerful and wealthy and comfortable. We work hard during the week so we can play hard on the weekend, so we can have a, a great retirement. Is that what life's all about? Isn't that our ultimate goal? And Jesus would say a resolute no. Jesus reminded his disciples on the night when he's betrayed, when they had that last communion, last supper together, he reminded them, that the goal of life is to deny self or die to self. Pick up your cross and follow me. Take on the role of a servant. And then Jesus got down on his hands and knees and he washed the feet of the disciples, even the one who would betray him and the ones who would deny him and abandon him. Well, this morning, oh, and then he says, and that's what the life's all about. That's what you are to do. That's how you live in your baptism and communion. And this morning, we also celebrate one more thing. Day after April Fools. No, it's not that. We celebrate Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, or better known as Palm Sunday. And this was sort of like our All Schools Day parade every year, where all the county gathers together with great enthusiasm, and we have a parade. Or in my case, as a kid, we had the Memorial Day parade, and there are Veterans Day praise, et cetera. The entire county gathers together in mass with great excitement. But the people on this first Palm Sunday, they had much more reason to anticipate something great and be excited because the long-awaited Messiah was in the parade. He was alive. He was marching into our city. He was declaring that he is the king. They understood what it meant that he was riding on a donkey. They knew what the prophet said. In Zechariah 9, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a donkey. In Psalm 118, Lord, save us, which is Hosanna. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so they were reciting from this psalm. They were saying, essentially, finally, King Herod, this corrupt figurehead of a king, this Roman sympathizer, he's going to be dethroned. Finally, these Roman enemies are going to be defeated, and then God's people will return to their rightful leadership in this place, just like in the days of King David. I can almost hear crowds shouting, Jesus, crush, kill, destroy, lead us on to victory. 
Why would the crowds believe that Jesus would do this for them? Well, because everyone had heard of the miracles that Jesus performed. The power and the authority that came through him over demonic forces, over sickness, and over even death when he raised three people from the dead. I mean, everyone was talking about this guy. Surely he's the Messiah. This last one was Lazarus, and many of the people who were marching into Jerusalem that day would have been from Bethany, three miles away where Jesus had spent the night before. They had seen a first eyewitness account of the resurrection of Lazarus, one of their own. And so they surely expected heads to roll in Rome that day. So with great enthusiasm and anticipation, the crowds placed their coats on the ground as was their tradition, sort of like rolling out the red carpet for the Academy Awards. And then they picked up palm branches and they waved them like we did this morning, signifying that a warrior, a victorious warrior, is returning from battle. The king is entering our town. Sort of, or sort of like how we wave flags for, with nationalistic pride on the 4th of July parades or Veterans Day parades. Unfortunately, this celebration for Jesus wouldn't last very long, though. Because, and it wasn't because people had to clean up the streets with pooper scoopers behind the donkeys and the horses, but because it soon became clear that this Jesus would not meet our expectations. This Jesus would not perform any miracles. There would be no crushing, killing, or destroying. And in fact, on the contrary, Jesus would be arrested. Before our eyes, he'd be maligned, lied about. He did nothing. He'd be scourged. And finally, he'd be hung on, the, on a cross. Can you believe it? Can you believe how disappointing this is? How embarrassing to think that we thought that this, this man was our Messiah? That kind of disappointment is a common theme throughout the Gospels, especially the Gospel of John. In John 6, we read, after Jesus fed this massive group of thousands, he had to, he, he had the he had the uh, gall to teach us this. Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. What? Even the disciples, were told, grumbled. The 12 disciples. And then in verse 30, 66, from this time on, many of his disciples in the crowd turned back and no longer followed him. And then in John chapter 8, to the Jews who believed in Jesus, Jesus said, hey, I'm the way. You can't get any way except through me, you know. And if you really want to be my disciple, then you must obey me. And then he said in verse 53, very truly I tell you, I'm sorry. In verse 40 he said, you are looking for a way to kill me though. You're not obeying me. You're doing the work of your father. And the Jews replied, the only father we have is God himself. And then Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you'd, you'd love me, for I've come here from God. And then they declared, well, Abraham is our father. And then Jesus responded, very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am, which is the title for God, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. And then, of course, on this Palm Sunday, the crowds yelled, Hosanna, save us. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. But by the end of the week, many were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Why? He didn't meet their expectations. He saved others, but he can't save himself off that cross. If, if you're the king of Israel, then come down here from the cross. Then we'll believe in you. Do you suppose we are any different from the people on that day? What do we expect from Jesus, our Messiah? And when our expectations are not met, our prayers aren't answered the way we expect, then what's our attitude? What does God promise as he, as he revealed to us in the baptism, in our communion, and as we celebrate Palm Sunday? I think it's the same thing. Luke 9 says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. That's what I think he's saying. We need to die to ourselves, take up our cross, follow him. He says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet lose or forfeit your soul? So this is what Jesus promises us. He promises us victory by way of the cross not by way of the throne. He, he promises us victory through humility, not through control over others. Through love, not through the sword. He promises us victory through forgiveness of others, not being resentful. And through surrender, not control. And so... When we do that, Jesus says you'll find life and purpose. To conclude our service this morning before communion, I'd like to ask my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law <clears throat> to come up, Lynn's sister and brother, <clears throat> brother-in-law, who are our missionaries that we've been supporting for nearly 30 years at Countryside, uh, long before we were here, and they're going to share just a couple examples of what it means to die to selves as missionaries. Yep. Buenos dias. Whether we're in Mexico City or in McPherson, when we choose to follow Jesus, he tells us we need to make two choices first. One, want what Jesus wants more than what you want. And second, choose to live life like Jesus by trusting God in each moment of life. Sue, can you share a story about your friend, Mari Cruz? Sure. Mari Cruz, I met at my son's preschool. And within the first three, four months of developing a friendship with her at our dining room table, she invited Jesus to come into her heart. As we got to know one another, I find, found out that she was going through a very, very difficult time. And as I walked with her through this, um, I saw how Maricruz was making this choice each day of wanting what Jesus wanted more than what she wanted and wanting to walk with him in a faithful way. This was a very difficult thing. She was in an abusive relationship. Her husband was an alcoholic and unfaithful. And it was heartbreaking to watch him not choose Christ as she did, given the opportunities to do so. But she continued to choose each day 
to follow Christ above all. And in following Christ and going deeper with him, being discipled and then discipling others, finding her gift in teaching and learning how to teach and lead in Sunday school, as well as then later training others to become Sunday school teachers. She also found that in denying herself and taking up her cross and following Jesus, he was transforming her heart as she walked through a healing process from these abuses through the ministry of Miam. So it has been an amazing walk with Maricruz and seeing what God does through this daily relationship of putting him first. Uh, eight years ago, she met a Christian man from the Tlalpan Covenant Church, and they were married. And together, they are serving God using their gifts. Javier is currently enrolled online uh, to become a pastor. And so we just see how God has accompanied her through all these different phases of her life and bringing victory through this love and through forgiveness and through transformation as she wants what Jesus wants most. As we've been following Christ and obeying Christ's call in our lives to be missionaries, um, one reality is that our sons are struggling with cultural adaptation, especially in the States, where they're white on the outside, but Mexican on the inside. They have struggle with anxiety and making decisions because they don't know all the ins and outs of every situation. They still tell us that they think in Spanish and are constantly translating uh, what's happening into English. And they miss the warmth of their Mexican friends, and they, their struggle is our heartache. Um, our testimony is not just about how things end, it's how stuff or how stuff is um, resolved. It's about life in the middle, where we walk with Jesus and as we follow him above all. So we never know what God is, uh, has in store for us. But we know that God's way is the way that will impact others. So we want what Jesus wants more than what we want. And we choose to do life like Jesus by trusting God uh, through the pain to discover new life. Thank you. As we transition into... Uh, this, and by the way, Sue and Carol have been with us all week and they've met with multiple groups. So if you want to know more about their ministry and, uh, you can ask them specifics, uh, before you leave today.